Good morning, church. All right, that's better. I, I will need you to talk back to me this morning because I am actually a little tired. My body's achy, so, okay? We've got to do this thing together. Um, <laughs> open, if you have a copy of God's Word, please open to Luke chapter 11, or if you have it on your screens, click or scroll to it. We are this morning going to continue in our um, inadvertent series through the Gospel of Luke. You didn't know we were doing a summer series through Luke, did you? But it happens that every preacher so far has, has really enjoyed this gospel and wants uh, to build up the church from the living word of God therein. So uh, we're going to be this morning in Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11. Now, if you cast your mind back to our series on the Sermon on the Mount, you'll remember that I preached on the Lord's Prayer uh, from Matthew chapter 6. But back then, I focused on verse 12 and 14 through 15 when I exhorted us uh, to forgive our debtors as Christ has forgiven our debts. And then we elided in our discourse then the invocation of the Lord's Prayer. And I, I remember making a quip um, about being able to preach a whole sermon on the divine paternity of God. Lo and behold, <laughs> in God's providence, our gospel reading in the lectionary today takes us to Luke's recording of the Lord's Prayer, which means I get the chance, after all, to preach a whole sermon on the divine paternity of God. So strap in, fam. We're about to go in, okay? Breathe a word of prayer with me. Almighty God, we thank you this morning. Father, we bless your holy name. We thank you for the opportunity to be gathered at your feet and to hear your word. We ask now, O oh God, that you will speak to us afresh and anew. I ask, Lord God, for clarity of mind, concision of speech, and conviction of heart. Give me preaching strength right now, Lord, to be able to proclaim your truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so that your people may be built up in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we get to the outline of the Lord's Prayer as we find it in Luke, uh, let us take a moment to consider its context, both the con extended context vis-a-vis -vis the Mithian version of the prayer and the immediate context of what we have here in Luke. I know that you all are students of the scripture, noble Bereans, and uh, Bible scholars, and you know that the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, include many of the same stories and often similar identical wording. Yet each is written with a different purpose or audience while telling the same true telling of the Lord Jesus Christ's life, death, resurrection, and promised return. We know, for example, that Matthew's gospel was addressed to a Jewish Christian church, and his theological thrust was to talk about Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, the authoritative interpreter of the Torah and the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. Hence, the genealogical survey we find in the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Now, the Matthean version of the Lord's Prayer is Jewish in character insofar as it is similar thematically to two synagogue prayers from the first century, the Chadish and the Shemona Ezrei. 
which focuses on God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. These things are also found in the petitions in Matthew's versions of the Lord's Prayer. Now, that's Matthew's gospel. Luke's gospel account has a different theological purpose and audience. That is, it's addressed largely to a Gentile Christian church. As opposed to Matthew, Luke's purpose was not to write a biography to underscore Jesus' messianic identity, but rather he sets out to write an orderly account for the already initiated Theophilus so that he may know the truth concerning the things about which he has been instructed in Luke chapter 1, 3 to 4. Now, the prologue to Luke's gospel account makes it clear that his intent is to write a theodicy showing how God fulfilled his promises first to Israel and then extending it to the Gentiles and indeed all the nations. See, this is why we can't avoid multi-ethnicity as a value of the church. I know some of y'all may be tired of how often we talk about this in this church, but I can't help. Taylor can't help. John can't help but preach the text. And the scriptures make it clear, right from the opening pages of the law to the opening pages of the gospels, that God is redeeming unto himself a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Jesus is for all the nations, from China to Japan to South Korea to India to the Philippines to Nigeria to Ghana to the Ukraine, to Germany, to England, to the Dominican Republic, to Mexico, to Canada, to Puerto Rico, to the U.S. Mind you, all of these nations and more are represented in our church family. And Jesus is Lord over all. And we, we each in our native tongues, cultures, and ethnicities, different and disparate peoples become one with Almighty God as our Father. Now, you will notice that Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer is shorter, unadorned, and that's because while Matthew's version is more exhortative, Luke's rendering is more didactic. So addressing Jesus as Lord, one of his disciples is captivated by Jesus' prayerfulness, and he recognizes his authority to teach on prayer. Now, this request for teaching on how to pray is found uniquely here in the Lucan tradition. What he asks for is a prayer that will express the distinctive piety that Jesus' own life has expressed and into which he now draws his disciples. And we learn from this passage that John the Baptist had composed his own way of prayer. Now, we're given Jesus' own instruction on the topic. His construction, when you pray, say, suggests a general pattern for prayer. Now, this doesn't mean that they are limited to these words when praying. Indeed, the disciples pray with other words when we get to Acts chapter 1 and 4. But it is that they should repeat this phrasing from time to time as a communal prayer. And so when we pray, what are we to say? How are we to even start? We start simply, Father. 
In the original Greek, it is patar. But it is richer than that, because even the Greek doesn't quite capture the depth and significance of this invocation. You see, behind the word patar lies the Aramaic abba, which expresses a peculiarly simple, intimate, and even childlike relationship with God. The Matean invocation, Our Father in Heaven, points to the intimate relationship between God and his children, and the in heaven points to his transcendence. On the other hand, Luke's shorter version of the invocation, simply pater, represents, according to some scholars, a Christianization of the well-established Jewish usage of our Father in heaven. In other words, the Lucan form and simplicity reflects the church's adoption of Jesus' own intimate mode of address to God as Abba. So here, Jesus authorizes his disciples to call God their father in the same intimate relationship and with the same obedient disposition. So we are to pray, recognizing the divine paternity of God, recognizing that we are his children. But what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to pray Abba? Let me try to answer that question in three points. First, to call God Father is to remember what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. Let me say right up front that the divine paternity of God is not an endorsement of so-called Christian universalism which teaches that all human beings will ultimately be saved because, of course, God is the father of all humankind. Yes, God is the father of all human beings in the sense that he is creator and sustainer of all life, but spiritually, unbelievers have another father. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says to unbelieving Jews, you are of your father, the devil. 1 John 3.10 says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Don't come at the messenger. I'm only preaching the text. There is simply and absolutely not one spiritual family of mankind under some universal fatherhood of God. 2 Peter 1.4 says that only those who believe have been made partakers of the divine nature. John 1.12-13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Also in John 3.3, Jesus told Nicodemus, Truly, 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 I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Mark it down and highlight it in yellow. In order to be a child of God, you must be born again. We are adopted as members of God's family through the agency of Jesus Christ, his bloody cross, and his empty tomb. So when we approach God as children, 
coming before a loving father, we do so remembering that we are saved. We are born again, and we are children of the heavenly father only because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on that bloody Roman cross. Yes, all human beings are God's children through creation. And all believers are God's children through adoption. But only Jesus Christ is God's only begotten son. Jesus is the unique one. Christ is the one and only. He is the God-man. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus Christ is the fullness of the Godhead wrapped in flesh. Jesus Christ is the eternally and exclusively begotten one of the Father. Jesus Christ is the one who calls God Father more than 150 times in the gospel. And check this out. He only calls God God once in all of his recorded statements. And that one time was while he was dying on the cross, working to get us into the family. In Matthew 27, 46, while bearing our sins on a tree, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But thanks be to God that Matthew 27, 46 was not Jesus' last word from the cross. John 19, 30 reports that before he died, he shouted, it is finished. Hallelujah. We are children of God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And the citizens of the kingdom are the children of the king. Praise be to God. So we pray, Father, remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We pray, Father, remembering that we are saved, born again, adopted, redeemed, and justified. We pray, Father, remembering that we don't deserve to be God's friends, much less God's children. But by faith in Jesus Christ alone, we are accepted by God as his own. So to call God Father is to remember what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Secondly, to, God, to call God Father is to acknowledge the church is family and family is church. Now by teaching his disciples to address God as Abba Father, Jesus invites his disciples and all the people in the later church into a close familial relationship. This seems a good place to point out the fact that the Lord's Prayer has no singular personal pronouns that refer to the one who prays it. Did you see that? Not in the Matean or Lucan version do we find the words I, me, or my. Instead, Jesus teaches us to pray using us, we, and our. We are to approach God as Father, acknowledging that every other believer is our brother or sister in Christ. I submit to you that the most basic sin of the human race is our demand to be totally independent of everything and everyone. That is, we are proud, selfish, 
and arrogant. But Jesus commands us to pray, which acknowledges that we cannot make it on our own. And he further commands us to pray to the Father, which acknowledges that only God can help us. But moreover, he commands us to pray to our Father, which acknowledges that not only can we not make it on our own, and not only do we need God's help, but when we go to the Father for help, we must pray for others and not just ourselves. See it here in the petitions that follow the invocation, verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. Verse 4, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. See, I don't care how much of a prayer warrior you think you are if you only pray for yourself and not others. That tells me you have big spiritual problems. You are not an only child. You have brothers and sisters in Christ that have needs you should be concerned about. Let me put it this way. The Lord's Prayer answers Cain's age-old question found in Genesis 4-9. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. And this idea of church as family and family as church has special provenance for a multi-ethnic church. Indeed, it is what undergirds, it is what is foundational to any concept of multi-ethnicity within the church. The starting point is that we are family. And because as is the nature of family, we don't get to choose our brothers and sisters. God does. And that means like family, it's not everything that your brother or sister does or says that you're going to like. We may offend each other, we may even hurt each other as we stumble and falter, but yet we remain family. Let me put it this way. I have a greater duty of love, care, and affection to the white brother whose politics may not align with my own than I do with the black activist marching for black lives, yet is an unbeliever. Did you hear me? And we can no more disown our family after the flesh than we can our spiritual family. Because the blood, the blood that binds us together as one is greater and better than the blood that runs within our veins. We are indivisibly united into one family by and through the very blood of Jesus Christ. And the love of God that led to the shedding of that blood on a tree is now shed abroad in our hearts, and it demands that we bear with one another even when we say the wrong things. Demands that we believe all things good and honorable about each other, even when our cultures clash. It demands that we hope all things, even when we are disappointed with each other. 
It demands that we endure all things, even when we exasperate each other. Love that is patient and kind with and to each other as we grow together into the maturity and likeness of Christ. Friends, Christianity is inherently communal. It's a matter of life in the body of Christ, the church. Because every time we say our Father, as the Matean version of this invocation states, we are naming the way of the kingdom. Though we must enter the kingdom each for ourselves, we get to the kingdom as a group. We're praying together, correcting one another, forgiving one another, and stumbling along after Jesus together. Let me say it again. You are not an only child. You have brothers and sisters. We are family. So to call God Father is to acknowledge church as family and family as church. Third and finally, to, God, to call God Father is to know that he cares for you. See, when we pray Father, we are resisting the idea that God is impersonal, insensitive, or indifferent. That's not God. Our God is personal, accessible, and compassionate. Our God is like a father, only better. He is our heavenly father. He is a model father. He is the perfect father. And you don't even have to drag him to court in order to get him to acknowledge or take care of his children. And here's the point, y'all. You matter to God. As his child, you are the apple of his eye. God loves you deeply, affectionately, and unreservedly. When your body is sick, God cares. When your dreams are shattered, God cares. When your faith is attacked, God cares. When your heart is broken, God cares. When your pockets are empty, God cares. When your relationships are failing, God cares. When your strength is low, God cares. Now, that's not for me saying this. That's in the Bible, y'all. Psalm 103, 12 says, Father, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Matthew 7, 11 says, if you then, who are evil, actually it's from our Luke reading today. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God is our Father. Therefore, you can, as 1 Peter 5, 7 exhorts us to do, cast all your anxieties on him, knowing that he cares. For you. Let me say a special word to someone who's struggling with sin, guilt, and failure. Our Heavenly Father cares about you too. Read Luke 15, 11 through 32. God is not only a loving father, he's a lovesick father. 
And if you've strayed away, I want you to know that God is waiting on you to come home. God still loves you. God still cares about you. Because where sin abounds, his grace abounds all the more. Heard a story recently about two boys who were arguing. Sounds like my kids. One boy finally played his best card. Well, my daddy can beat up your daddy. But his nemesis trumped him. Big deal. My mama can beat up my daddy, too. Now, here's the point. <laughs> Not only do you need a loving father, but you also need a father who is capable. It brings us to the final point of the divine paternity of God that I want to get across to you. God is able to meet our needs, and we see that in the three petitions that follow the invocation. But to say that God in heaven is father is to affirm that he is sovereign powerful, and capable. God blessed me to have a good father in Duro Jatayo. There's no doubt in my mind that my earthly father loves me. He will do anything in his power to help me. But to be honest, there are times when he just can't, no matter how much he tries. He loves me. But he's limited, finite, well, human. But my heavenly father not only loves me, but he is able to meet all, I repeat, all of my needs. My earthly father only knows certain things, but my heavenly father is omniscient. He knows everything. My earthly father can only be at one place at one time. But my heavenly father is omnipresent. He is everywhere all at once. My earthly father is only good in certain areas, but my heavenly father is omnipotent. He's able to do all things. My earthly father will pass away. But my heavenly father is eternal. He lives forevermore. He is sovereign powerful, and capable, the almighty God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, the one who thunders from the heavens, the earth shaking at the sound of his voice, the one who answers by fire and speaks out of the whirlwind, the one before whom the nations are like a drop in the bucket and lifts up the islands like fine dust, the one whose throne sits on high and looks below the earth is his footstool, the one who is adorned with majesty and dignity and is clothed with glory and splendor. I'm talking about God, the one whose radiance is like the sunlight and who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has seen and can see, the thrice holy God. This is our God. And we call him Abba. 
Father, blessed be his holy name. Let us pray. Oh, Father, 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 what a privilege, what a delight to call you Father. Thank you, oh God, for your love of us, for redeeming us, for calling us as your own, as your beloved children, and for uniting us into a family, making disparate peoples one. And this people are your very own that you care. You care so deeply and affectionately and unreservedly for. Oh God, we pray this morning that for every heart, every mind that does not know you as Father, Ask that you would confirm within them, draw them to yourself, that they may see this awesome God as their own, that we are his, and he is ours. Oh, that we may know experientially, personally, and collectively the very love of the Father. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.